Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome back to the CBI series in partnership with The Ohio State University's Chronic Brain Injury Program. Over the course of the series, we'll be chatting with some of Ohio State's CBI program researchers about their work and findings in the brain injury field. We can all agree that brain injury is an invisible epidemic that needs more visibility through building awareness, more research, and continuing education for professionals. Put your thinking caps on and get ready to learn along with us. Welcome back to the Making Headway podcast. I'm Mariah. And I'm Erin. And today we are doing the second in our series of CBI, our series that we have with The Ohio State University. And today we are very fortunate to have Juliana Nemeth, who is a health equity intervention scientist. She's really interested with looking at how domestic violence survivors with brain injury can get better access to public health interventions. Because as we all know, you're living in chaos with domestic violence and with a brain injury, it's really hard to know what you need and to figure out how to access and get the help that you need. So her research really focuses on that. And instead of me trying to paraphrase any further, let's turn it over to Juliana and um, get an idea of you know what, what she's doing, how she got into this field in the background. Welcome, Juliana. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me today. It's really, it's wonderful to be here and to really talk about this very important issue. So thanks. Yeah. I think I was reading on your um, website just how predominant and how, you know, how much domestic violence there really is. One in three women are possibly exposed to this. Um, That number is insane. Wow. It is. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in her lifetime, you know, one in three women will experience some sort of domestic violence. And that violence is not equitably distributed across the population. So there are some groups that are targeted at higher rates for domestic violence, um, including racial and ethnic minorities, gender and sexual minorities, um, people living in, for instance, the Appalachian region of our state. So over one in two women in the Appalachian region of our state will experience some sort wow. of sexual or domestic violence in her life. So. Um, you know, for some, that number is even more alarming. So yes, yeah, it's a widespread public health issue, even in itself before we even talk about brain injury. How did you and find for our listeners? Working? Oh, sorry, Aaron. For our listeners, if you have not listened to our episode with Nia Renee of How to Love a Battered Woman, we highly recommend um, looking back on that one because it speaks directly to this. But um, I think that in that conversation with Nia, we talked about how important it is to have a support network when you have a brain injury. But if you are the victim of domestic violence, you're automatically at a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of your support network. So this conversation is especially important. Yes. Yeah, that is very true. Um, So maybe I can talk a little bit about how I got into this work and, you know, why I I felt called actually to come back and get my PhD. So yes, please. I'm actually in my mid 
40s, but um, have only recently um, begun a career in academics and in, in research. So I spent most of my early career in advocacy work in community-based settings, directly working with survivors of domestic and sexual assault, and working also on prevention issues in community settings regarding a spectrum of violence. And um, one of the things that motivated me to come back to school and actually get a degree that would help me work on intervention um, was that I was very concerned that many of the community-based mental health and substance use treatment supports that um, we oftentimes would refer survivors to didn't seem like they were effective for the populations that we were working with. And so survivors that we were working with oftentimes struggled um, on an ongoing basis, even years after assaults, um, oftentimes struggling to access services and um, kind of struggling to keep their lives together. And even with the support that we offered them, it just was very clear that there was something else going on. Um, that our interventions that were designed to help survivors um, were not necessarily helping, were not necessarily working, that we were missing something. And that um, was partially what motivated me to go back to school. And I ended up getting a degree in public health and in health behavior and health promotion specifically, and um, developing the skills really necessary to um, do community-based participatory action research um, so I could work with community-based organizations and survivors in community settings to better understand what their needs were um, in order to really target interventions to help meet those needs and to hopefully reduce the health disparities that so many domestic violence survivors experience. So domestic violence survivors access health care at higher rates. Um, they're diagnosed with all sorts of different kind of health outcomes that you wouldn't necessarily think are connected to domestic violence itself. Um, their health care costs within our systems are much higher too. And, you know, there's just a lot of pain and suffering that comes with domestic violence even years after assault. And I think, Mariah, you brought up that social support is one of those things that oftentimes is not um, available to survivors of assault, especially those that are in currently abusive situations. And when you think about brain injury and brain injury interventions, it almost assumes that you have a support person that's going to be able to help you get through that process. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that we're learning here in Ohio is we're going to have to design our brain injury support and intervention services for domestic violence survivors differently because um, we're going to have to build in social supports and functional supports in ways um, that maybe other populations that have experienced brain injury, maybe, maybe those supports are there for them already. So I think that's one of the, one of the challenges um, that we've encountered and that um, we know in order to target behavioral and other kind of safety and health interventions for domestic violence survivors with brain injury, we're going to have to figure out how to provide that social support. Yeah. 
I, I think Aaron and I have touched on this a couple times, but you know, the months after a brain injury, that recovery period is so difficult to get through. Um, even if you have every privilege and support in, in your toolbox available to you. Um, and so, you know, like I'm so grateful to have had my husband throughout it because as a brain injury survivor in those early months, the fog of recovery, um, you have to have help, (laughs) um, in your doctor's appointments at home. Um, and so I honestly can't imagine, um, what some of these survivors have to go through, you know, it's almost like multiplying that recovery stage and the burden of it by, I don't know, name a number, 10, a (laughs) hundred, a lot. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So how, Juliana, how are you kind of attacking this problem and what are you doing within, what are you researching to see um, how we can better address this population? Yeah, so... So as I was saying, um, when I came back to school, I was really interested actually in, um, I, I knew nothing about brain injury, actually. Let's, let's start there. Um, I didn't actually realize that brain injury was an issue for domestic violence survivors, even though I had been working with survivors in community settings for years. It was very obvious that there were mental health issues that needed to be addressed. The field in general um, oftentimes works from a trauma-informed place. And so um, I think a lot of times we interpreted what we were seeing as the effects of trauma, um, as the effects of mental health issues, maybe as symptoms of substance use. Um, And even though we knew that the neck and head were targeted on the most frequently targeted sites in domestic violence attacks. Um, We weren't putting it together that um, blunt force head trauma to the head, right, and strangulation or other forms of oxygen deprivation could lead to um, acquired brain injuries that were um, impacting function um, of domestic violence survivors. So, Um, I think it was in 2016, um, the Ohio Domestic Violence Network, which is a network organization that provides technical assistance and support to all the domestic violence advocacy organizations across the state of Ohio. They received a federal grant from the Office of Victims of Crime. And it it, it was a grant really focused on helping um, develop an intervention Um, for domestic violence service organizations so they could better meet the needs of survivors coming into services with mental health challenges and challenges from brain injury. And if you talk to the Ohio Domestic Violence Network, they'll tell you, we knew that brain or that mental health was really an issue. Brain injury was sort of just thrown in there. Like it was like one of the things that was sort of on the list of the things you could address. And it was like, well, maybe... Maybe we'll throw it in there to learn something about it, right? And so they hired me as their evaluator on the project. And the first thing we did was we went in and we did a needs assessment. So we had five partner local agencies that were working with domestic violence survivors. 
and we did focus groups with um, staff that worked at those organizations to understand what they knew about brain injury and mental health issues and um, what they would need in order to better address those issues with survivors seeking services. And from that, those focus groups, we learned that even though um, advocates were up to the challenge of helping survivors with brain injury, that most, most advocates knew nothing about brain injury or how to assist survivors with brain injury. And many had really never thought about the fact that survivors seeking services could have brain injuries. We also did interviews directly with survivors. And we asked them about the exposures that can lead to brain injury. And it was those interviews that really just kind of turned the world of advocacy upside down. Um, when we collected that data, um, I was working with our community-based partners at the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. Um, Rachel Ramirez in particular, um, an amazing advocate who um, still a partner in research with us to this day around this issue. Um, we looked at the data and we asked the question, how many times in your life have you ever been hit in your head or were made to have your head hit another object? And over eight in 10 survivors said that that had happened to them. And over half of the survivors in our sample reported so many times that they couldn't even give us oh a number gosh. of how many times it had happened that to them. just gave me goosebumps and not and the good kind of goosebumps. We asked, <laughs> no, not the good no. kind of goosebumps. And honestly, when, you know, sometimes it's like you're working with data, right? But having data, having worked with people, right? Um, and understanding the struggles that people experience and really recognizing all of a sudden putting that together, like, oh my gosh, this is something we've been missing. And this is huge. This mm -hmm. is huge, right? This is a missing piece that advocates aren't putting on the table. And that, that is really yeah. significant. We've mentioned this before. We had also then asked, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, we mentioned, we've oh, mentioned sorry. this before, but so uh, football players and rugby players, you know, athletes, veterans, we talk about all of that, but this is a very quiet population <laughs> um, for repeated knocks. And so it's um, amazing to hear that this is starting to happen <laughs> in Ohio. But, um, but yeah, bad goosebumps. Yeah, bad goosebumps. Yes. Um, and I actually would say, I, I think it almost, it brought me to tears. I was, you know, as I was sitting there, we were looking at the data. Um, the other question that we asked was, how many times in your life have you ever been choked or strangled? Survivors use the term choked. Um, technically, it's, you know, when someone puts their hands around your neck or puts you in a chokehold, um, tries to deprive you of oxygen somehow um, through suffocation. So we asked the same question, you know, how many times in your life has this ever happened? And again, over eight in 10 survivors had said, this has happened to me. Um, not as many said, 
Um, you know, this has happened so many times, I can't remember, but it was still an alarming rate, right? That eight and 10 had said, over eight and 10 had said, this is, this has happened to me. And I think the other thing that that pointed out to us in the brain injury community, oftentimes um, we study traumatic brain injury and brain injury that comes through oxygen deprivation. So anoxic and hypoxic injury separately. But when we went on to ask how this is happening, we learned that oftentimes these two kinds of assaults are happening concurrently. So survivors of assaults are experiencing both the blunt force head trauma and the strangulation or other forms of oxygen deprivation within the same assault. And so not only is this like highly pervasive among domestic violence survivors who are seeking services in our state, the mechanism of injury is not something that our brain injury researchers have been studying, really, because we're not, we haven't been studying these two kinds of assaults to the brain. Um, and then I was telling you about the fact that oftentimes domestic violence is targeted at populations that are already experiencing ongoing stress and other um, structural issues. And so we then have um, socio-cultural trauma, racial trauma, um, other kinds of trauma taking place. Um, so, so survivors are oftentimes experiencing multiple assaults to the head that are both traumatic um, in nature as well as, you know, um, anoxic or hypoxic injury. And that's taking place within this context where the brain may already be experiencing kind of this ongoing stress. And so we're really looking at a kind of brain injury that really hasn't been studied at all. Um, and when we, we reached out to our chronic brain injury program at Ohio State and really said, look, like I'm not a brain injury researcher and I'm working with a community-based partner and we've really discovered this thing. Um, they've been wonderful in kind of working with us, but we've really helped to point out to them that there, there's a missing piece here. There's a missing link within our brain injury research, within clinical brain injury response, um, and that we really have to work together. Researchers, clinicians, um, and survivors in community-based organizations that are working with domestic violence survivors to really figure out how to respond and best provide brain injury treatment services um, to survivors because this is going to this is it, it's going to look different. Um, services as they exist today are really not accessible to the populations that we're serving um, in our domestic violence programs here in Ohio. And so our next step really is to figure out how to bridge that gap between um, where survivors are seeking services and um, the brain injury support resources, um, how, you know, how to make those accessible to survivors where they're at oftentimes in community settings um, where they where they go to seek safety 
um, services. So that's really our next step, I think, in terms of our little group um, and our work and our, our research. But I think that our work is also making a splash in the larger picture because I think it's also impacting um, the researchers from the bench who are doing you know, rodent research. So at Ohio State, the modelers that, have, um, that work on brain injury and rodent models are now working with us to try to you know, build a rodent model that better um, reflects this kind of brain injury that comes from domestic violence. Um, and, you know, there, there's been a lot of interest across, you know, across the spectrum, across lots of different kind of research places that are interested in partnering to, um, to really address this kind of brain injury that comes from domestic violence. You mentioned violence. mental health. Oh. Go ahead, Erin. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was just thinking, you know, in all that you were saying about the multiple ways of acquiring a brain injury when you're a domestic violence survivor. It's just, I had never thought about that before. We've had a couple people come on that have talked about the mouse models, and it seems very specific to one cause of injury. Um, and the fact that you need to look at multiple causes for one person, um, that I can just see how this work is so important. Um, it just, it really has struck me. I'd never thought of that before. Yeah, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. And also, just to complicate it further, Julia, I know you mentioned mental health earlier, um, and sort of many, I think, survivors of domestic violence come to the table with mental health issues. But as Erin and I both know too well, brain injury can magnify or cause mental health issues. So it just like further complicates that picture. Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I think one of, one of the, um, so out of the research that we did with the Ohio Domestic Violence Network, maybe I can talk about that for a second because I, and I'll come back to the mental health issue here in a second. Um, we, also discovered that there's a lot of unmet need regarding mental health uh, among survivors that are accessing services. So Cecilia Mango is one of my um, colleagues at Ohio State. She is a researcher in the department or in the college, excuse me, of social work. And her expertise is really in um, mental health needs of survivors of domestic violence. And she was a co-investigator on this work with the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. And she's published a paper really about um, the unmet mental health needs regarding domestic violence survivors who are seeking services. Out of our work, though, we ended up developing an intervention. It's an advocacy intervention that is designed to be delivered um, by advocates in community-based organization settings that are serving domestic violence survivors. And as it's really a framework and approach for delivering advocacy that um, connects with survivors. So the, the first thing you do is you connect with survivors. And we really acknowledge that all of these issues are very common. So that so brain injury, right, 
blunt force head trauma, strangulation, mental health struggles, suicide ideation, and um, ongoing issues with mental health, substance use. These are very common issues that um, survivors bring to services. Some of these things were issues before domestic violence survivors experienced the assaults on their head and neck. Some of them um, you know, are things that developed since and are ways that survivors may be coping with the fact that they're living with ongoing brain injuries that they actually themselves know nothing about. I mean, I think that's the other thing about this research that has been so um, eye-opening is most of these survivors did not realize that these repeated assaults on their head and the you know, strangulation could lead to the kind of injuries that they had sustained and the, the kind of symptoms that can come from that. So um, it's just acknowledging these things. And part of acknowledging is we created these intervention tools, the things that we call the care tools. And these tools um, help advocates um, directly communicate with survivors about brain injury and about mental health concerns. And all of those tools are free for download on the Ohio Domestic Violence website. Um, which will give you information about that at the end of the show. Um, and part of one of the tools that's on there is something that we call chats. And chats is a tool that allows advocates to directly ask about the symptoms that survivors are bringing to services that are really disruptive um, to their kind of everyday functioning. And so we asked, the last time we went in to do research, kind of the outcomes research on the care intervention, um, we actually asked about a lot of the mental health concerns, as well as symptoms that come from brain injury. And some of those things are overlapping, right? Um, so there are symptoms that are highly prevalent among brain injury survivors, so some of those mental health things, um, as well as things that, um, symptoms that are prevalent among people with mental health but not brain injury, right? But the, the thing is that most survivors that are seeking services have unmet needs regarding mental health issues as well. 60% um, of our survivors, for instance, felt hopeless. And hopelessness is one of the leading indicators of suicidality actually you know so we are we're working with a population in services in the state of ohio that really has needs regarding mental health and mental health interventions um, and recognizing that, that that we're working with populations that also have brain injury um, and so it's this, we realize that the interventions to support survivors, we can't just focus on the brain injury and we can't just focus on the mental health and we can't just focus on the trauma. We really are going to have to understand the big picture. And that's sort of what I was saying before, too, in the fact that our interventions to support survivors of domestic violence with brain injury, we're going to have to bring brain injury to the mix, right? And understand that it's, it's a piece of the puzzle um, that's leading to these debilitating symptoms that survivors are oftentimes struggling with on a daily basis. And 
we have to ask survivors, really, what are the symptoms that are getting in the way of your life um, today? What are the things that really, if, if you could focus on, if you could have some relief from, what are those things? And let's try to advocate to get you some help for those things. And are those things things that we really need a brain injury specialist to help us with? Are those things that we, you know, really need an occupational therapist, for instance, or someone who's, you know, um, who can help us with some sort of vestibular or ocular therapy, for instance? Or, you know, are are you having seizures, right? We found, you know, 15% of survivors accessing our services are having seizures, um, not from epilepsy, right? So this is like, these are things that, you know, we need to link survivors with medical resources to help with those things. But then for others, it might be, it might be the ongoing hopelessness. It might be the suicidal ideation. And maybe for those survivors, you know, more of a mental health focus and support might be um, where, we're, where we're at right now, right? So I think oftentimes there's this all sorts of cluster of symptoms that survivors are bringing. And, you know, oftentimes in research, we try to separate things, right? We try to isolate things to understand them separately. No. <laughs> I don't think we can do yeah. that with this population. Um, and I, I don't think it's, I don't even think it's appropriate. I think we're just going to have to recognize we're dealing with trauma. We're dealing with mental health. Um, we're dealing with brain injury. We may be dealing with substance use and we just have to work with survivors to understand, um, what symptoms are really impacting their function every day and how it is that we can best um, help them learn to live with some of those things and how we can best help to match them with the therapies that are going to bring the best relief. And so, I mean, I think that's really sort of our next step in terms of where we need to go um, and where we're going to go here in Ohio so is in terms your of our research, research. What I'm hearing you say is your your research is really focused on figuring out and providing the caregiver, the not caregivers, the um, advocates, the resources they need to be able to best meet the survivor where they're at. Um, your interventions are really targeted at finding out what is it that they're willing to work on rather than us taking a stab in the dark and trying to fix it for them. Yep. So um, that's exactly it. So I work with community-based organizations, and I try to figure out how to assure that our health interventions, our public health interventions, are accessible to populations um, through the organizations that they're already seeking services from. And oftentimes, those services are not um, health-based services to begin with. Oftentimes those services might be safety services, right? Um, they might even be culturally specific services. So we're recognizing the importance, for instance, of working with um, our culturally specific service providers because um, 
domestic violence survivors may actually go to a culturally specific organization to receive support services mm -hmm. because that's actually where they feel most comfortable. Maybe a mainstream domestic violence service provider is not where they feel most comfortable. So we also, um, I was telling you about my colleague in social work, um, we also do work around um, racial justice and really partnering with um, immigrant organizations, um, organizations that are serving immigrant women of color in particular, to figure out how we can better um, assure that um, immigrant women of color have access to domestic violence, um, safety and health services. So these things all of a sudden start to kind of intersect, right? Um, we, we really, this is very complicated. And oftentimes where survivors are seeking services, people don't necessarily have the knowledge about domestic violence or about brain injury. Um, and so um, I think we can get to the most amount of people if we work through the organizations where populations who are most likely to experience domestic violence and who are most likely to experience brain injury from domestic violence are already going to seek services, if that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. That makes it also sense. sounds like it sounds like there's a significant education effort that has to happen on like multiple fronts. Um, can you speak a little to how you go about that with an organization that might not have traditionally experience in either of those, you know, domestic violence or brain injury realms? Yes, thanks for asking that question. I think one of the benefits of the community research collaborative that we've established with the Ohio Domestic Violence Network, and also um, we uh, we also partner with other um, culturally specific organizations that, that are serving um, survivors of violence, um, but also just culturally specific populations um, to provide technical assistance. So I, you know, as a researcher and as someone at a university, my focus is really on the research side. But organizations like the Ohio Domestic Violence Network, their job is really technical assistance and training to organizations, right? And so part of the next step is trying to figure out how to get funding for their nonprofit organization to really work with organizations to move forward the care intervention, for instance, and to really train organizations in understanding um, domestic violence, brain injury, and brain injury that comes from domestic violence, and how you create accommodations within your services to assure they're accessible to survivors of domestic violence with brain injuries, regardless of what those services are, even if they're not services for you know domestic violence survivors with brain injury, right? Because if you think about it. Oftentimes, survivors are trying to seek services, all sorts of other kind of services, right? Um, they're just trying to seek health services or civil justice services or educational services or, um, you know, all of our systems, all of our systems are set up to assume that you have intact cognitive function. 
But the reality is we have a lot of people walking around with brain injuries from domestic violence who don't know that they have domestic violence and the service systems that they're working with also have no clue um, how to work with people with domestic violence or the fact that a person with domestic violence may very well have a brain injury too. And so it's really organizations like the Ohio Domestic Violence Network where we have to really advocate um, that they receive the funding to really move forward um, technical assistance and training to organizations that are working with, you know, survivors of domestic violence, um, oftentimes who may not know much about domestic violence or about brain injury. Right? Um, but they're the experts, really, in, in moving that kind of training into community settings. And then I have the expertise in helping to evaluate to make sure that when we move the trainings into settings, um, maybe where those, um, you know, where the intervention wasn't developed, that it's being received and that um, we're seeing the same kind of outcomes among those service providers as we saw among the advocates um, that are serving in more traditional domestic violence service organizations. So you're developing the intervention and then tracking the effectiveness of it once it's put in place. Okay. What, yeah. what are the interventions like? You, you mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, empowering advocates to be able to have the conversation. Um, is that the nuts and bolts of it or is there, is there more to it? Yeah. So, um, so on the website, the Ohio Domestic Violence Network website, there is um, a um, an entire page devoted to brain injury from domestic violence. Um, it's called the Center on Partner Inflicted Brain Injury. Um, they actually kind of developed this the center as part of the Ohio Domestic Violence Network in response to the work that we have done together. And on that website, there are, um, there's a project evaluation um, about our project of working with brain injuries and mental health and domestic violence programs and um, something called findings from the field. But so I'm pointing this out because in those documents, um, you're going to see a description of the care program and process. Okay. And care, as I was saying before, is kind of this framework for advocacy. And the framework really came from asking advocates. When you work with domestic violence survivors and things really work for them, so domestic violence survivors with mental health challenges, domestic violence survivors with brain injury, if you know that you've worked with a survivor and things have really worked, can you tell us a story about you know, how you went about working with that survivor. We actually built care, this intervention and this framework off of what advocates told us already worked. So this is, um, this framework came from advocates themselves. Okay. So care itself is a framework for advocacy that advocates can just kind of think through in terms of applying to their advocacy practice already, okay? So it's not like we tell advocates in order to implement care, you must do this, this, and this. It's an approach to advocacy, 
Okay. And so care is really about connecting the survivors and forming genuine and healthy relationships. That's what the C stands for. A stands for um, acknowledging that head trauma and mental health challenges are common, um, providing information and education to survivors, and identifying short and long-term physical, cognitive, and emotional consequences that often come through um, both that head trauma and the mental health challenges that are you know, pervasive among our survivors who are seeking services. And then it's responding, that our sound you know, is about responding by accommodating needs related to traumatic brain injury, strangulation, and mental health challenges, and to provide effective, accessible referrals and advocacy for individuals who need additional care. So it's responding to what survivors are telling us. You know, if they're telling us these symptoms are really just completely debilitating, then those are the things that we need to respond to and work with survivors about. And then the E stands for evaluation. So we evaluate the accommodations and the referrals and touch base regularly to see if the adjustments need to be made. Um, and if what we've done is, is effective, okay? Um, we created then a whole set of what we call the care tools. And those care tools are free to download on the Ohio Domestic Violence website as well. And those care tools then um, have um, direct language. Uh, we ask you know, advocates, what do you need in order to directly address you know, brain injury and to directly address mental health concerns um, with survivors. And they told us we need things that sound non-medical. You know, we need um, list of things, you know, accommodations listed out for us, right? If people are having different kind of concerns, the kinds of things that we can do to help. And so those tools really were designed to just help advocates directly talk to survivors in non-medical ways about head injury. You know, we call it head injury. We don't call it brain injury. We um, use very non-medical terms. We, um, and, um, you know, uh, with a lot of different things that could be used to help so support survivors and make accommodations and services. And so we created this kind of framework and structure. We created these tools and interventions. And then the Ohio Domestic Violence Network went out to the agencies that were partnering with us. And they did a direct training on what brain injury is, right, and what the symptoms are, um, and also um, challenging mental health issues that are oftentimes faced by advocates serving survivors and programs. And then we gave them the care framework and we gave them the advocacy tools, the care tools, and we said, use them. Like, we're not telling you how to use them. You know, there's so much complexity to advocacy. It's so complicated. There's, you know, survivors are experiencing so much and advocacy happens in lots of different places. Um, Oftentimes we assume that it's just in shelters, but we have advocates, you know, working in um, 
court settings, for instance, that are serving survivors. And we have advocates that work in community settings that are supporting survivors. Um, and so, and even in some in drug treatment programs that are so supporting survivors. So advocates, and we had advocates from all those different places that actually um, helped us to test this intervention. So they were just, you know, bringing up brain injury <laughs> um, through the use of these various tools um, in various different ways. And then we went back to those five partner agencies and we did outcome evaluation. So we talked to the agency staff um, and um, through surveys and we talked to survivors using the um, agency services and asked them what it was like to be served by an agency using care. Um, but also we looked at direct measures of trauma-informed practices and we looked at direct measures of um, service access and, and success, those kind of things. And what we found, and we also talked to advocates about how they were using care. So the process of using care, since we didn't actually tell them how they needed to use it, we actually needed to understand from them how they were using it, right? So we did process evaluation focus groups with staff members too. And we, we discovered, um, we, did, we just completed our outcome evaluation of the staff um, outcome surveys and care and the use of care in that very flexible way, right? Just using that framework, using the tools, applying it to your advocacy practice, however you're doing that. Um, we found that it improved trauma-informed advocacy practices. Um, across a wide range of issues, um, including addressing blunt force head trauma, strangulation, um, mental health challenges, suicide, um, substance use issues. There was a difference when we looked at um, those trauma-informed practices from agency staff pre-care to agency staff who, you know, in those organizations post-care. Um, and through the process evaluation focus groups, we learned that those differences are probably because advocates felt more comfortable and confident directly talking about brain injury now. And that the tools that we've provided were one of the reasons for that. That the tools in and of themselves, the language was very simple. You know, they didn't have to know much. They could just pull out those tools and start reading from them, you know, and they had all the support they needed right there to be able to have a conversation, a direct conversation with a survivor um, about these exposures and the kind of symptoms that they could lead to and some of the accommodations that could be made so survivors could better access the services. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the care intervention. Um, and that, you know, it's really designed for use in advocacy practice. Um, and as I said, anyone can access that framework for direct download on the Ohio Domestic Violence website. So if you go um, to the Ohio Domestic Violence website and 
Um, it's odvn.org backslash brain hyphen injury backslash. Um, the framework is part of, if you scroll down, um, there's a section on that website called Working with Brain Injuries and Mental Health and Domestic Violence Programs. And you can find the care framework in the project evaluation um, document that's free for download there. And then um, above that, you see brain injury materials. And those are all of the what we call the care tools that we developed um, that advocates are now using um, to directly talk about brain injury and mental health issues. So the, um, there's a card there called Invisible Injury Education Card and Invisible Injury Overview and the Invisible Injuries Booklet. Those are all focused on um, brain injury in particular. And then the Just Breathe bookness is really about wellness and about mental health and wellness. And the chats is the head injury identification and accommodation tool. And that's really... Um, advocates sort of at the end um, really said to us, we need, we need something that has more direct questions. So that came later in the care intervention development process, but um, advocates have really liked that tool too. So those are the, you know, that's the intervention. And um, we, I can tell you at this point, it works, um, you know, and, and, it was developed in advocacy programs, but I think there is no reason at all why a survivor or someone who's trying to support a survivor of domestic violence who thinks that they may have a brain injury couldn't directly use these resources to support a survivor. So our advocates who are answering crisis lines of domestic violence organizations would open these resources when someone would call the hotline to say, hey, my sister or, you know, my friend um, is experiencing something. And I think, you know, you know, I, I don't know how to best support them. And the advocate who was trained in care said, hey, this could actually there could be a head injury here. Right. So maybe I can I'm going to open up this resource. I'm going to direct you to this website and, um, you know here's a resource that you can help with your sister or with your friend to try to figure out, do they need to go to the hospital right now? Is there an imminent concern? Um, are there other things that maybe, you know, um, we could be considering? These resources can be used years after physical assault too. You know, we, we are finding that brain injuries are going undetected um, for years, we've had survivors that have come forth because of the research that we're doing that were like, you know, accidentally 10 years after I was assaulted, you know, I got in a car accident and was in the emergency room and it was discovered that the kind of brain injury that I had couldn't have come from that car accident that I just had, you know, and we put the pieces together and realized it was actually from the domestic violence assault that I had experienced years before. Um, so people are living with these brain injuries for years and are experiencing mental health challenges and, you know, substance use issues and debilitating, you know, problems holding their jobs and, um, 
all sorts of the same issues that, you know, brain injury survivors are experiencing, but oftentimes not knowing that they have these issues. So these resources are developed for any lay person to use. You don't have to have a medical degree, right? Um, they're really very simple resources. Um, and they've, you know, advocates told us it was because of these tools that we felt confident talking to survivors about head injury. And we really feel, and it was because of that, right, that, that we were able to provide better support around all of these issues, not just around the brain injury, but about the mental health challenges and the substance use challenges survivors are often. This is really excellent work. And I love how you guys have really taken a lot of stuff that's out there and put it all in one place because it's it can be daunting when you search the internet trying to find reliable information. And here it is all on one site for anyone. You know, you don't have to be, like you said, a medical professional to understand it or know how to apply it. It's, it's easy. Thank you. <laughs> and I just, I, I mean, a shout out to my community-based partners, um, so Rachel Ramirez, Emily Kulo, Kathy Alexander were the um, employees through the Ohio Domestic Violence Network that really partnered on the care, the development of the care project and the research that led to the development of care. And Rachel Ramirez is, um, is really an ongoing um, community-based research partner um, and she's the one that really helped to found the Center on Partner-Inflicted Brain Injury. And um, as we work to really forward a research program to address um, brain injury from not, not just domestic violence, but interpersonal violence. So um, this project actually led me, I also work with homeless youth. Um, and I work on um, smoking cessation because it's a very common, it's, it's actually the leading modifiable risk behavior that leads to health disparities. And it's a very common behavior that we see among domestic violence survivors. Um, but homeless youth oftentimes have come from um, homes where there's been domestic violence and oftentimes experience additional violence on the street. and. I started asking them about exposure to blunt force head trauma and to strangulation and discovered in that population as well um, how pervasive um, unmet need regarding brain injury is. And I asked about, you know, who, um, who did this to you? And intimate partners and homes of origin are a source, but also community violence. Um, so peers on the street and um, other forms of community violence as well. And so what started as brain injury from domestic violence, which is one form of interpersonal violence, um, I'm realizing is a spectrum um, of brain injury from interpersonal violence. So we are really now moving forward a research platform at Ohio State that is trying to address um, from a transdisciplinary place and from a community-based place um, that really partners with our community-based um, advocates that are doing such important work in the community 
um, to address this brain injury from interpersonal violence and to move forward the kind of research necessary to really address what is this social injustice um, and to do so within a framework that can that can really get at the complexity of what this is because it it is different. And I think for many brain injury researchers who were studying maybe brain injury from sports, you know, from sports or brain injury, even from war, um, this is a different kind of injury. And our response um, has to be different. And even our prevention strategies, right, um, have to be different. So we're, we're working on that um, now at Ohio State. And we can only do that with continued partnership with our community-based partners like the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. So I, I truly believe that um, brain injury from interpersonal violence is a social justice issue that's fueling health disparities um, for our most vulnerable populations. And so I think it's something that we must address and um, we have to do it within a social justice framework that understands that context. Um, and it, it requires something different um, than maybe our traditional ways of addressing brain injury in the past, especially through research. So we're doing it. We're doing it okay here at, at Ohio State. We're doing it right. Um, and, and I'm just so very thankful for both the brain injury community and the researchers here at Ohio State that have embraced this research, that have embraced the community-based partners and the perspective of survivors in informing our research, um, and that have um, and the continued trust actually of community-based organizations in the research process because it, it takes a lot to trust researchers um, as well. So you know, it's a two-way street. Absolutely. Juliana, I thank you so much for joining us today. I know I've learned a ton and I feel so grateful for all the work that you've done. Um, as someone who doesn't necessarily know exactly what to say or how to do when um, you've met someone that has a brain injury and is experiencing domestic violence, I'm just so grateful that we have this um, website and we have some resources to go to for those of us wanting to help more. Um, I really just highly appreciate your work. Um, do you mind highlighting again the name of the website? Sure. So um, the name of the organization, again, is the Ohio Domestic Violence Network. So um, if you just type in the Ohio Domestic Violence Network um, into Google and then type in um, brain injury, you'll be able to find this website. But the direct link is odbn.org backslash brain hyphen injury backslash. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're really grateful. Juliana, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. So this is Mariah signing off with my co-host, Aaron. We'll see you next week on the Making Headway podcast. Many thanks to the Ohio State University's Chronic Brain Injury Program for partnering with us on the CBI series. 
a series of interviews with the program's researchers. For more information about the CBI program at The Ohio State University, visit discovery.osu.edu slash CBI. Be sure to check out our show notes on makingheadwaypodcast.com for a summary of each show and more information about the researchers that we've been chatting with. Hey everyone, in case you're wondering what Aaron and I do for a living, it's not podcasting. I work in marketing, Aaron's a nurse, and this is just a side project that we love. We really do enjoy doing this and we've enjoyed being part of the community and building up a group of listeners. You guys probably don't even realize how much you help us out um, just by supporting us. If you were looking to do a little bit extra, uh, we would love to have your ratings on Apple or whichever podcasting service that you use. Or if you hear us talk about a product on the podcast, we do include those links to Amazon in our show notes on our website. Your purchase after you click on the link just gives us a tiny little kickback, nothing much, but it helps us pay our bills. And if you are thinking, well, this isn't enough, we want to do a little bit more on our website at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. We have a donation page. Any proceeds we receive, we give 10% to our favorite brain injury nonprofit of the moment. So if you are looking to do a little bit more, that would be a great way to support us. Again, we appreciate you guys oh so much. Thanks so much for your time and your ongoing support. We love our listeners and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean. 